1: Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. One of the biggest deals of all time was proposed over the past week, and we watched it fall apart in front of our eyes just days later. Kraft Heinz, the Warren Buffett-backed food giant, made an unsolicited $163 billion offer, if you include debt, for Unilever, the London-based consumer goods company. No one I know in M&A land had this deal pegged, not only because it's enormous, uh, but in large part because the two companies don't really focus on the same things. So it seems more like a diversification play, which is usually anathema to M&A strategy, which says companies should focus on synergies and core competencies. So while there is a synergistic rationale to this deal that we can talk about in a few minutes, it's a moot point anyways because this deal ain't happening. Kraft Heinz pulled its offer which valued Unilever at an 18% premium to where the market was valuing the company when the news leaked, and Unilever confirmed it had received an offer. And we can also talk about how the news leaked, which was somewhat unique to this deal. So there's a lot to talk about here, and I haven't even gotten to the main point of the show, which is what Kraft Heinz may buy now that Unilever is off the table. So joining me to discuss this enormous failed deal and what may be next is Bloomberg Gadfly columnist Tara LaChapelle. Hi, Tara. Hey, Alex. So that was a long introduction, but I want to give you and your colleague Brooke Sutherland some credit here for focusing on Kraft Heinz doing a large deal. In fact, it's one of Brooke's big, bold predictions, 2017 M&A predictions from an episode released in December, episode 58, I believe, uh, for those scoring at home. But she didn't call Unilever as the target, so let's start simple here. What does Unilever own? What are some of the brands it owns? And why was this appealing to Kraft Heinz?
2: So Unilever owns some really big um, household products brands such as Axe Body Spray. Um, They make Dove Soap. They have some food brands like Lipton Ice Tea and also uh, Magnum Ice Cream. But they're definitely not something you would consider a big food company. They're more in the personal care and household product space, which is what makes Kraft Heinz interest so interesting because we were expecting them to go after another food company, which would make a lot of sense, of course.
1: So, just to remind people here, let's go the other side, too. What is Kraft Heinz known for? I mean, obviously, people are going to know it for macaroni and cheese and ketchup, but there's more beyond just that.
2: Right. They have a lot of big names, too. There's Jell-O. Um, Oscar Mayer, I mean, they they own so many things. Uh, Philadelphia cream cheese. So they're this huge food company that has all these really big brands, but obviously these brands aren't growing very much anymore, very profitable. So what they've been doing is trying to find a deal that can give them a chance to grow their earnings and buying something like a Unilever or another food company or a consumer products company gives their the 3G guys a chance to do their famous you know cost slashing, which is what helped Kraft Heinz become as profitable as it is.
1: All right, so what was the- deal going to look like in terms of cash and stock in terms of what was offered
2: so I, I think when you have Warren Buffett involved, I mean, he's the biggest shareholder of Kraft Heinz. I think what would have happened is they want to offer a mix of cash and stock. Um, an all-stock deal probably wouldn't be very attractive to Unilever or any other targets they're looking at. But it's very hard for them to offer cash because, you know, they're very levered. So I think when you have Buffett there, the way it would work is similar to when Kraft and Heinz merged, is that he would sort of put up the money that would be the cash used to pay the the target shareholders, and he would get you know more equity in the company and maybe like a, a big dividend. It in again, like he did the last time, the big preferred stock. Um, so I think you know he's really central to this, which is probably telling, given that the deal fell apart, and that's not like a Buffett deal to fall apart.
1: Right. So we can talk about that in a minute. So let's back up a little bit here. Um, so I'm pulling this up on my Bloomberg terminal right now. Uh, Kraft Heinz ownership: about half of the company is owned by Berkshire Hathaway and 3G right. Capital Partners. They each own you know roughly 25 percent. Berkshire Hathaway a little more, 3G a little less you mentioned the preferred stock component that when Berkshire bought into Kraft Heinz, they got a sweet preferred stock deal, right? That had some 9%...
2: 9% dividend, yeah. I mean, huge, very expensive, yeah. And it was great for Buffett because, you know, Berkshire has all this cash and it's just sitting there and, you know, it's really hard for him to find ways to spend it. So to get a 9% return on some cash is great. Um, Eventually, they retired that because, obviously, that's very expensive. So they replaced it with cheaper debt. Um, But, you know, it was great while they had it. And now he has this huge stake in Kraft Heinz, which is, you know, a really stable company and totally fits, you know, his type of thing.
1: So let's talk about wh- how this deal leaked and why it leaked and then why it failed. So the the way this deal leaked, which is, I'm not sure I've ever encountered this before. Uh, the Financial Times has a, a, a blog called Alphaville. And uh, in its blog, they basically referenced that like there is a market rumor out there that Kraft Heinz has made a bid for Unilever. That was enough to trigger... Unilever to publicly say yes. In fact, we have gotten an offer from Kraft Heinz because uh, Europe has different uh, rules around M and A transactions than the United States. Basically, once Unilever got in- inbound uh, uh, calls saying "Is this true?" Uh, they sort of had to say yes, right? Right, right. So, so and, and by the way. I'm not – I mean, people are crediting, and I suppose with reason you should credit the FT Alphaville, but it's not like – it wasn't like a person-familiar basis, which is how typically these stories break where reporters talk to people involved in the deal and then – uh, on an anonymously sourced basis report on it, this one, there was really no attribution. Exactly.
2: Right. It was more, people are saying that this may happen. So it was really funny to see the companies respond so quickly like that.
1: Correct. And so once the deal uh, was announced, then it was just a couple days later at that point uh, that the deal fell apart. And part of that has to do, we think, uh, with uh, Warren Buffett's takeover strategy where he hates leaks, Right. Right. And why does he hate leaks?
2: So the way Buffett does deals, and I think this is really important, is that he likes to work in private. It's usually secretive. He doesn't want to be involved in auctions or bidding wars. And he wants friendly deals. You know, he wants the the target to feel like, you know, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be bought by him. And he wants a serious seller, not someone who's going to come and, you know... Um, just really be difficult when it comes to pricing, nailing down a deal. Like if he wants to buy you, he wants to get a deal done soon. Um, so I think here, when once this became public and it became public too early, it kind of put Unilever in a tough position. It puts them on the defense. And I think that it, it changed the dynamic there and it, make, it makes it really hard for them to come up with a friendly deal now because now it's out there. So the journalists and the investors are all going to be tar- talking about it and it makes it really hard for them to nail down a good deal. So now I think this means they move on to something else because it you know I don't think Buffett wants to get into a public back and forth and I don't think Kraft Heinz wants to either because the guys at 3G know they're really good deal makers and they know that if this becomes a long protracted battle that it's just going to hurt Kraft Heinz's stock and it's going to be a distraction for them.
1: So making this so interesting is so Unilever was trading below forty dollars a share. They come out and publicly say this is true. The stock shoots up thirteen percent, but because the deal can't get done, then the stock falls back about three dollars a share. It's still trading by the way at forty two fifty a share. So two fifty above where the stock was trading before the news came out. Let me just stop there. Why do you think that is? It's not like someone else is going to come along and buy Unilever.
2: I mean, it's not impossible, though. I think what happened is when you have the guys at 3G looking at your company, and clearly they're looking at you because they see fat to trim, it signals to investors, okay, well, there is um, excess at... Unilever that can be done to sort of improve their margins. And does this mean an activist now comes in? Or maybe there are other companies that Unilever could look to do a merger with, maybe not necessarily them selling themselves, but combining with another peer. So I think this just sort of put it out there that, okay, well, they saw something in Unilever and these guys are the pros. So what can be done now?
1: So we'll return to that in a second. But what's interesting about the offer to me was that, of course, Unilever is going to go up on a takeover that values the company higher. But Kraft Heinz also went up 11% on the news. And yet, just a couple days later, because of the way Buffett likes to do deals, they break the deal and then the stock falls back. It is very unusual, I think. And in fact, I think the market was very much thinking a deal would get done here. Mm -hmm. When both stocks rise more than 10% on the news, both Acquire and Target, and yet the deal still doesn't get done. Uh, Basically, what that signals is that the market loves the deal, And yet, the ownership decides we don't want to do it, perhaps because of some sense of arrogance in the Mm -hmm. way that Warren Buffett does deals which is similar to some other companies. There are a few companies that do this, like Apple. A colleague, Alex Webb, and I just wrote the story a few days ago on Apple, how Apple does the same strategy as Warren Buffett when it comes to M&A. They don't like using investment bankers. They come out with one number and say, this is our offer. Take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. And then it's usually the answer is leave it because if you're a company, you don't usually just want to take your one offer from a buyer. You want to run a sales process or at least generate some interest to see, well, is there anybody else out there that's going to offer more? And, right. and, and Apple, I think for what you're saying, similar to Berkshire Hathaway, once that process begins and the company starts shopping itself, Apple usually says, so long, like right. that was your chance. Uh, and it means that Apple doesn't do all that many deals. On the flip side, Berkshire Hathaway obviously does a ton of deals. Their whole business model is structured on doing deals. And part of that must happen because there is a Warren Buffett premium baked into there. Right. right. They,
2: they convince the target company that – you know, your premium is you're selling to us, and you know, we're so great, and we're going to run it so great, and we're going to keep the management in place. But it does beg the question that if you're a shareholder of one of the target companies, did your uh, board shop the company as best as they could? Because, you know, he pays cash, so you're not getting any of the upside from the deal.
1: Before we get into what Kraft Heinz might buy now, what they may go after, I do want to talk a little bit more about how. On the face of it, this deal didn't make all that much sense because, as you mentioned, these two companies don't do a lot. All that's all that similar. Mm-hmm. But there are reasons, and this may dictate what Kraft Heinz is thinking in terms of a new deal, so it's sort of a transition. The thinking, as far as I understand it, about why Unilever made sense was not only are you, are you diversifying, but you are allowing Kraft Heinz to get into areas of the world where, where really it's not. I believe 70% or 70% plus – Of its sales, Kraft Heinz's sales come from the United States. Mm -hmm. Something like forty-two or forty-three percent of revenue at Unilever comes from the Asia, you know, uh, what I think a lot of people like to refer to sort of the developing world, Mm -hmm. uh, where Kraft Heinz isn't there. So if you can get in to that market, then you can start using those sales channels to sell your own products. So that Mm -hmm. would be a natural synergy. Does that does that logic guide us toward where Kraft Heinz? may look next? Or do you think that's sort of a Unilever-specific thing? I
2: I think there's sort of three buckets that they're trying to fill. So one is, yes, global expansion. They want to be more and more in other countries, um, because they are very skewed towards the developed countries in the US in particular. I think two, margin expansion. So what's happening with Kraft Heinz right now is they're not growing. And the only way you can grow earnings for shareholders is either your revenue has to be going up or your costs need to be going down. So revenue's not moving. Barely. And costs have gone down probably as much as they can. Their margins are probably hitting their peak. So that means the only way to grow now is they have to buy something else, cut costs, and look, margins went up again. Um, so I think that's another reason. And then, I mean, also just the fact that they are deal makers and, you know, that's what their thing is. And they're trying to get bigger and own more. And if you buy a company like a Unilever as opposed to another food maker, it gives you more room for sort of financial engineering because, yes, they diversify. But let's say, down the road, some of these brands they want to get rid of. Let's say they don't want to own Dove Soap. They fix it up. They sell it for a much higher price than maybe it's being valued at And. you know, combined company, and they sell to someone else for a big price, and they get the cash. And then look, they can use the cash now to go out and buy something else for growth. So it's it just leads to more opportunities. So I think when you look at Unilever, in that sense, there are other companies that kind of fit that bill. And I think one of them is Colgate, Pomolive, you know, obviously toothpaste, and they own soaps. And these are really big brands, but it's very similar to Unilever, where it's not a natural fit, in terms of the brands and the strategy, but you could see the opportunity to both, you know, make the company sort of more streamlined and also maybe sell off things. I think that's something that's a piece where we haven't really talked about that much. Is that you know they probably see an opportunity to take some of these brands and divest them and, and make some money off of it.
1: By the way, Three G did another deal uh, this week that we should mention. So Three G, which again owns about twenty five percent of Kraft Heinz. They also were the the driving force in restaurant brands. Right. The boringly named company that owns Burger King and Tim Hortons, who came up with re- rest. I, mean, I know it's
2: they, could terrible. You possibly have a more boring name,
1: restaurant. What brands. about
2: like Whopper Inc. Right? <laughs> anything. Anything. I mean, if
1: that would be like if I sold computers, naming my company like Computer. International
2: Uh, business machines. Yeah, well, right.
1: That comes to mind. At least that one was named a long time ago. Restaurant brands could have named, you know, name yourself like some Las Vegas nightclub over there, like uh, Onyx or something. Agreed to buy, so restaurant brands agreed to buy Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, a much better name, uh, and I certainly ate a lot of Popeye's chicken in college. So, So why was that tempting for 3G? What was it about Popeye's that led them in this? direction.
2: So it's interesting because our restaurant brands is so similar to Craft Heinz in the sense of they did this deal, they've sort of done as you know, they're doing what they can in terms of cost, which has paid off very well. They are extremely profitable. But they're trying to grow Tim Hortons in, in the U.S. and in other countries. And it's a lot harder than they thought it was going to be. You know, Tim Hortons is named after a Canadian hockey player. I don't think that translates as, as as easily in other countries, and especially countries where tea is more popular. So I think they needed a deal to sort of get people excited. And Popeye's is pretty small. Um, this is a $1.8 billion deal. And I think restaurant brands is valued at $26 billion. So it's not too costly for them. The interesting thing, though, is this deal is relatively expensive, if you think about because they're paying like more than six times the revenue that Popeye's generates, which is the highest multiple I've seen for you know, restaurant chains in this country. Um, so I think from that standpoint, it shows there's sort of a little bit of desperation, but Popeyes does have this cult following. Um the timing is really good because Popeyes was planning to lever up big time this year and sort of skew their capital structure more towards debt and be able to you know grow more and pay and repurchase more shares. So I think that this timing was good because they got ahead of that. so Popeyes, you know, is still you know pretty underlevered and it makes the deal a little bit cheaper for them.
1: What is it about the consumer food and consumer goods industry that 3G likes to focus on? Are are these industries notoriously bloated and bloated on what?
2: Bloated in terms of, I mean, I don't know if bloated is necessarily the right word, right? These guys are, they make very drastic cost cuts. I mean, it's not just laying off a ton of people. It's also, you know, printed double-siding paper. And like when executives travel, like, you know, not spending all kinds of money on first class and all this stuff. So, I mean, some of it makes sense, but it is pretty drastic. And I think companies aren't used to operating that way. And it is very difficult to say, you know, it's such a great thing that they fire so many people. But when you do look at these companies, they are probably they probably aren't run as well as they could be. And the reason that's timely now is because they're not growing so much. So if you're not growing, you need to produce something else for shareholders. And the way to do it is to start looking at the bottom line. And also, I think for 3G, I mean, these companies are easy to understand. It's just like the, the Buffett MO. I mean, he likes companies he understands that are easy sells to investors. They're brands that everybody knows. And it's just it's easier to wrap your head around and to like them.
1: All right. So going back to Kraft Heinz, uh, you mentioned Colgate Palmolive. That's a sixty-five billion-dollar market cap company. Mm-hmm. Uh, one or two other names on a p- potential new target for Kraft Heinz.
2: I mean, I think the the ones that went up last week were Kimberly Clark, uh, which makes Kleenex. Um, they're a U.S. company. Um, that would be a pretty sizable deal. And I think that could be interesting, too. It's maybe not as splashy as a Colgate or a Unilever or even you know some of the food names like Mondelez and General Mills. But, I mean, that's there. Clorox, which is pretty small. I think Clorox would be less interesting, but I, I, I'm sure it's one that is on the list now because the list has just broadened out so much since the Unilever news came out. Um, I think a food deal is still possible. But, like I said, maybe these consumer products companies, these broader ones, offer more for 3G to do, and and longer term will be a little bit more interesting for investors.
1: And it is sort of safe to say, I think, that it's sort of a foregone conclusion, right, that Kraft Heinz is going to do something now? They have all this money? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you just look at their earnings last week, you can see how so revenue is barely moving, if at all. And then you see the cash flow has just inflated so much, and that's because they're cutting all these costs. That cash flow, you can see, is directly being used to bring down their debt so that they can go out and do another deal. So it's clear. You just look at their earnings report, and you're like, you can see them gearing up for it. I mean, and they're ready, obviously. But now they just need to find a target. And It's not going to be good for them if they have to keep jumping around. So hopefully, their next deal, the lips are sealed, and no more leaks, because I don't think that'll help them.
1: Well, for our standpoint, I hope that, that does not.
2: come <laughs> I mean, through. I hope you break it. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. Um, Tara LaChapelle, Bloomberg Gap-like columnist. Clorox, as she mentioned, a 17 billion dollar market cap company. Kimberly Clark, a 47.5 billion dollar market cap company, at least. As I speak to you right now. That's it for this week's deal of the week. Remember you can get all of our episodes on iTunes or Bloomberg.com or the Bloomberg Terminal or SoundCloud or whatever app you use to listen to the show. And please rate and review the podcast on iTunes if you have a minute. It helps other people find the show. Also follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. And feel free to write me an email, a sherman6 at Bloomberg.net, if you have any ideas for future guests or topics of the show, or if you just want to say hi. Tara, where can people find you on Twitter? It's T-A-R-A-L-A-C-H. Sarah Patterson is our producer, Alc McCabe, head of podcasts. See you next week.
0: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?